Why does every week involve a fight with your was snipers? It's Friday, January the 25th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News contributing editor and aspiring mini-digger driver, and with me today are Paul Peters, master's engineering student and skyscraper aficionado, and my fellow Dutch News contributing editor and carnamelk violator, Molly Quell. I love carnamelk. It's uh, delicious. I know. But, well, I know. firstly, it's not, and secondly, <laughs> you not. do something horrible to it. I mix it with orange it. juice, and it's delicious. I don't like carnamelk, with, with actually, what? straight up, with with orange juice. Why on earth would you do that? I don't know. I saw it on a menu once at a restaurant, and it's kind of like a cheap and easy smoothie, basically. Because instead of, like, blending a bunch of shit together, you just, like, sort of pour two liquids into the same cup. It sounds you like just the mix two shit together. It's so good. You liquid shit it's together. So, it, I drink it so often that in our fridge there is a bottle of orange juice and a bottle of carnamelk, but they're actually not just orange juice or just carnamelk it's because i've pre-mixed them <laughs> you have ready mix orange juice i have ready mix orange juice carnamelk this it's delicious m- i highly endorse it you really to have all gone thoroughly listeners. thoroughly native. I've got so it's, native it's just waiting until you have the uh, caramel sea salt yeah. carnamelk uh, orange oh, juice i would flavor. try caramel i would try caramel sea salt of course carnamelk. you would you yeah. can have There's it no all surprises yep. here yeah. you can have it all as long as gordon and i don't have to uh, deal with it but yeah. gordon you're, you're cranky about me uh, drinking carnamelk but i know what makes you crankier which is unpaid invoices <laughs> Yes, that's true. And I have a kind of role model for this. This is the guy who probably a lot of people have seen on social media this week who was working as a constructor at a travel lodge in the UK. Oh. And he wasn't... Yeah. Oh, Paul's remembering this now. Yeah. And there's a video of him. He turned up... He hadn't been paid an invoice. So he turned up basically and destroyed the thing with a mini digger and just drove it right in and spent a good 15 minutes going in and systematically just ripping the whole... It's a really whole great video. Yeah. It's a really video to watch. How yeah. much was this bill? Uh, he's, I think the bill was about £600. Uh, and yeah. how much is the made, damage? He caused about Way half a million <laughs> of damage. And, 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 and the sting in the tail is that it turned out that he hadn't been paid the invoice on the Friday. He went on over the weekend and it turned out there'd been a glitch in the bank account and the money actually landed in his bank account on Monday morning. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he got the money and he's now got the bill for the damages as well. Although, you know, as someone who does a lot of freelance work and has started at some point that if I have out invoices that are outstanding for more than six months, I start sending emails with the subject heading, fuck you, pay me, uh, which I have found to actually be quite effective, but you don't get to the fuck you, pay me email. Like you don't get to the mini digger smashing through the front of the hotel room unless you've already not been paid for a while yeah. and have been trying to get this invoice. So the fact that they did eventually pay him doesn't really like garner a ton of sympathy with me. Yeah, no, I've sent this video to all the people now that uh, yeah. have outstanding invoices. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a very yeah. passive aggressive. Yeah. Fuck you, pay me and then a link to and this video. And then just a link to this video. Yeah, exactly. So, um, Paul, what's your uh, preference for tall, long things? <laughs> long, skinny things? You're talking about skyscrapers. Skyscrapers, of yes. course. What else? I don't know. You've been tweeting what, about your... skyscrapers a lot lately. Yeah, you know you like tall buildings and you tweet about them, but you've been, it seemed to be a lot of, a special amount of it this week. I particularly like the ones that you've done of the oh, workers. Uh, yeah, the workers. Getting uh, kinds of stuff. Who probably um, were getting paid structures. and did not feel the need to smash in the yeah. front of the building. These uh, 1930 skyscraper workers mm-hmm. who were sitting on, on like these beams that were you know they're hanging in the air and they're yeah. like, having a dinner or they're they're, like their lunch or they're golfing yeah. Yeah. I don't understand why any of these people think that that's a good idea to do <laughs> it's not but then otherwise you have to go the whole way down and it takes too long and yeah, you, you only to got go a half an hour lunch break yeah, so. yeah okay true. no that's yeah. true but there were also people golfing yeah. and uh, dancing I think what, what yeah. do there's a famous one of them all sitting in a row and they're eating sandwiches yeah. Yeah. and things and everyone's seen that one I hadn't seen some of the other ones the one I loved was the one where there's actually two people sitting at a dinner 
dinner table, yeah. having dinner, and there's two waiters yeah. <laughs> balanced either side of them, exactly. holding a tray with a bottle of wine on top of I, it. I think that's just a shit they did in the 1930s. I mean, this is what happens other. when you had no Netflix and no internet, no yeah, Twitter. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's, uh, but yeah. they uh, result in excellent photos. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody should follow uh, Paul on Twitter for his skyscraper photos, if you don't already. What is your Twitter handle? At Paul Pate, right? Yes. P-A-L-P-E-E-T. Yes. But you can also follow Gordon and I, at Gordon Derrick and at Molly Quell, although we don't tweet skyscraper pictures. It's mostly just me yelling at the internet. Yeah, or me just ranting about Brexit. Yeah. Uh, so I want to give a, a little bit of a shout out because the podcast is on the radio in Eindhoven, The Hague, and Amsterdam. And when I met with our broadcaster in Amsterdam last week on Friday, she was like, you never give shout outs to your Amsterdam listeners. And I was like, I didn't know they cared. But we care about you. <laughs> Absolutely. No matter where you are listening, we love you. So shout out if you're listening to us on Broadcast Amsterdam in Amsterdam. T- send us a message on Twitter if you're listening to us uh, on Broadcast Amsterdam. Yep. From deepest, darkest Delft. If you have complaints, you can send them to Paul on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I will ignore it. That's yeah, fine. fine. Well, speaking of things that we rant about on social media, that brings us around to the op-ef of the week, which uh, comes from a very unusual source, doesn't it, Paul? Very unusual. Yeah. Yeah. Ne- never had to. Uh, I don't think we've about ever had an op-ef-related uh, thing about him as an op-ef. Never. Have we? Ever. Yeah, never. That's true. This is the first. Uh, Thierry Baudet. Yes. Ah, him. Yes. You might have heard of him, the leader of uh, Forum for Democracy. Uh, he's responsible for this week's OPEF and uh, many other OPEFs, mm-hmm. actually. Can I um, give a shout out to Ben Coates, who had the best, uh, also someone you should follow on Twitter. Yes, definitely. Um, who, you know, ben Coates, friend of the podcast, who had the best description of Thierry Baudet I have ever seen. And what he described it? him as an alt-right gap model, <laughs> <laughs> which is exactly correct. So, shout out to Ben for that. Yes, thank you. Well, uh, in a debate on the Dutch military, CDA MP Hanke Bruins-Slot said she shared the opinion of intelligence services, the Ministry of Defense, and the Commander-in-Chief that Russia is currently the main threat of national security. After which, Terre called her cute and naive. Bruins-Slot responded by emphasizing she is a veteran who served in Uruzgan, and as she was commanding a tank platoon, Baudet was sitting in his study room <laughs> reading novels or writing Kafka. novels. Kafka. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, writing bad Nietzsche. novels. Yeah. yeah, so there was a nice little video of, of her <laughs> sprinting back to the microphone to, to say this when Jerry called her naive and cute. And it was, uh, you know, it's CDR, the party of, uh, of Hanke Brunslot, they immediately posted this video online. You know, it's a nice little PR thing. Yeah, for, uh, I, no, I retweeted yeah. it and now the CDR is following me on Twitter. <laughs> oh, so. oh, wow. <laughs> but that was, that was a nice detail because Thierry de Baudet himself or his party from Democrats, they do that a lot, don't they? They say take clips from Parliament and put yeah. them online. So there was a nice touch that CDR did that back to him. Yes. And it exactly. really just kind of literally go both barrels and fire a broadside at him. And she, I mean, obviously she did not plan this, but like the clip that they, I mean, I know it's like cut down a little bit, but man, her presentation and her delivery was just on point. So props to her. I thought it was like really savage and just put Thierry Baudet into his place, which he needs to be. Yeah, Thierry Baudet was of course famous for turning up one time in Parliament wearing a flat jacket. He must have wished he'd had it on that time. (laughs) Some bulletproof uh, clothing. Yeah, and he's had quite a week as well, because he was on news here as well, uh, talking about uh, climate change change and saying that we didn't have to worry about um, uh, carbon dioxide did, did, did pumping he, carbon yeah, dioxide because it's good for plants oh did you say that oh wow yes yeah. and did you uh, uh, repeat his uh, 0. 0.000007 degrees yeah. Uh, yeah. rent again yeah okay wow, yeah so so he's really just the Dunning-Kruger effect incarnate he's but so a, awful um, can I can I give a shout out to our second favorite OPEF of the week this week please yeah which is is that there was a report I think it was yesterday that came out that a crash on Thursday yeah it was on Thursday Thursday, yeah, a crash 
somewhere, I actually don't know where it was, was making the children that are staying at the crash walk outside barefoot in the snow because apparently it's like makes them sleep better. (laughs) That there's some sort of like German philosopher, priest, neuropath, crazy person. (laughs) Dr. Kneipp, isn't it? Yeah, there's a a whole range of alternative health products. It doesn't sound like a name that you could trust. Uh, No, (laughs) but one of the things apparently he advocates for is like the healing power of water and that you're supposed to like take cold baths. And so apparently this crash was having the kids walk outside in the snow barefoot before they took a nap. Yeah, no, a lot of people that were defending this but saying, when I, when I was a kid, I, I uh, very often uh, went outside not wearing a jacket, so what's the problem with this? But, I mean, when you are a kid and you're doing dumb shit yourself, then, okay, that's fine. Mm. But these were supervisors that right. forced these children outside on their barefoot. It's, yeah. it's, it's, no. it's insane. It's bad. Don't walk barefoot. Yeah. No. No, don't don't barefoot make your children do it either. No. This week, we'll look at why the government is struggling to meet its climate change targets, the latest crackdown on its tax and visa deals, and how the cull in the Ostradus Plassen has put deer back on the menu. In our discussion, we'll ask why the issue of asylum is once again threatening to tear the cabinet apart. I think venison is liquor. The Dutch government is set to fall even further short of its target for cutting carbon emissions than previously thought, according to research commissioned in the wake of Agenda court hearing. A report due to be published on Friday says that under current plans, CO2 emission will fall by around 21% of 1990 levels by the end of next year against a target of 25%. The Volkskrant newspaper cited a leaked copy of the document by the Environmental Planning Agency Planbureau for de Leefomgeving. The agency was asked to evaluate the cabinet's plan in the wake of an appeal court judgment last year that ruled the state had a duty of care to its citizens to meet the targets. Fines and compensation rulings will be imposed if it fails to achieve them, although the government is appealing against the ruling. Earlier in the week, sources in The Hague told NOS that the government would have to reduce CO2 emissions by an extra 9 megatons, more than was previously thought. So what can the government do to still meet the 25% reduction by next year? Can they do anything? Well, measures uh, considered uh, include closing coal-fired power stations sooner than planned and, for example, cutting the speed limit on motorways from 130 to 100 kilometers an hour. However, experts say that uh, even these plans will not be enough to achieve the 25% target. The Volkskrant also said efforts to speed up the conversion to green energy by building more wind farms have been uh, offset by the economic uh, recovery, which has led to more traffic on the roads and increased consumption and thus larger CO2 emissions. Yeah, so what we need really is a recession right now. Yeah, that's yeah. basically it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, according to Cherry Baudet, it's fine because plants like CO2. Some 60% of company royalties passing through the Netherlands are sent directly to Bermuda. That's according to a new report released this week by the government's macroeconomic think tank, Sepe Bay. In total, some 4.2 trillion euros was parked in Shell and other companies in 2016. That's nearly six times the country's GDP. Wow. So what is the Netherlands actually doing about this? Because it's not the first time this has been raised. Just basking in the glory of being a pass-through entity. Yeah. The Netherlands says it will tighten up its rules for granting advanced tax rulings and says no rulings will be granted if a tax structure involves a tax haven or if the purpose of the ruling is essentially to avoid Dutch or foreign taxes. It has also announced plans to introduce withholding tax on interest and royalty payments made to companies where corporate taxes are 9% or less. This will close off uh, Bermuda, but it will not affect Ireland, Switzerland, and Luxembourg as destinations, which are also popular tax havens. Yeah, interestingly enough, I found some statistics on the internet uh, last week, which listed the top incomes per capita in the world, and all these tax havens were on the list. So Mm -hmm. it was 
Uh, the Netherlands was in it, but also Bermuda, Switzerland, Ireland, Luxembourg. What else do we have? Uh, Monaco. Monaco. Monaco Dora, Isle yeah. of Man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Falkland Islands. Yeah. Yeah. Jersey and Guernsey. So yeah. I, was, I was looking at this list and the top 10 of them were all tax havens. And I'm like, mm. you shouldn't count these because no. they're no. just tax havens. Yeah, those yeah. people don't actually live there. No, no exactly. Yeah. Speaking of dodgy expat uh, tax breaks, the European Commission wants the Netherlands to scrap or modify its so-called golden visa scheme for foreign investors. The Netherlands is one of 20 countries that offer fast-track residency permits and, in some cases, passports as an incentive for rich entrepreneurs. Anyone who invests one and a quarter million euros in an innovative company that adds value to the economy, however you define that, is entitled to a residency permit. But Brussels is worried that giving visas and passports in exchange for large sums of money opens the door to big-spending criminals. The Commission says there is a lack of transparency and oversight for the schemes and countries should keep better records of how many people obtain residence permits in this way. Spain, Cyprus, Portugal and the UK are named as other countries that benefit from similar schemes. So uh, who are the worst offenders? Well, there's three EU countries that uh, allow wealthy individuals to actually buy citizenship, eventually. Oh, wow. So you can get a Maltese passport if you invest 800,000 euros in the country, so not too bad. Uh, a Bulgarian passport for a million, and for two million you can become a citizen of Cyprus. Uh, the European Commission says it's concerned because there are almost no qualifying criteria attached, so you don't need to know anything about the country or learn its language, and that kind of leaves the door open to organised criminals uh, or even terrorists to acquire EU citizenship uh, with all the rights and protections that confers. Uh, the Dutch Foreign Ministry has told the Volkskant that the government is considering scrapping the Golden Visa Scheme, but it hasn't actually given any details of how it'll do it. Hmm. Yeah, because you can get this uh, this visa, this Golden Visa, if you invest in a innovative company but they don't actually define what is it seems like a very elastic concept i don't know the exact qualifying criteria yeah, but yeah. just as long as you bring enough money you can get yeah, basically. basically show up with a suitcase full of cash and yeah. here's your passport yeah the Higgs Bronovo Hospital, popular with both royals and the international community, will close by 2024 at the latest, but will be shut at weekends from mid-2019, according to management company Ha Mse. In 2019, Ha Mse Bronovo will be transformed into a weekday hospital for day treatment and planned care, the company said. Between 2022 and 2024, day treatment and planned care will be transferred to the Antonius Hova and West Einde hospitals, and the Bronovo in its present form will close. This is a big blow to internationals in The Hague, right, Gordon? Yeah, I haven't used this hospital myself, but it has made a particular point of attracting expat customers. It's got special clinics and a specialist expat service desk where they all speak English. Yeah. So no golden visa for this hospital if no. you, uh, no, if you show up not. With, uh, with the suitcase. And they, they must have thought that they'd, they'd uh, yeah, uh, reap the benefits of having lots of golden visa customers, but it hasn't worked out that way. <laughs> yeah, despite the fact that this is the hospital that is the birthplace of all three of the princesses. All mm -hmm. of King Willem Alexander's children were born there. Uh, it's walking distance from the family's official residence. Although they weren't actually living there at the time, were they? Because it was being renovated. So they were living down so. in Bussenau. Yeah. They were yeah, but that's uh, that's just uh, a few minutes down the road. Yeah, and I thought there was. I'm surprised they weren't born at home like everybody else in the Netherlands. In the bathtub. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but their mother is Argentinian, and everyone uh, else in the world uh, thinks that be burying your children in a bathtub is dumb, and you should go to a hospital. But I was born in Aspaldo. Yeah, because you're a triplet. Yeah, poor yes, mother yeah. was <laughs> exhausted. Exhausted. <laughs> just from the thought of it. Sports news, the Eredivisie returned at the weekend, but the big football news is off the pitch as Frenkie de Jong's big money transfer from Ajax to Barcelona was confirmed on Wednesday. After fevered speculation linking the 21-year-old to Manchester City, Juventus, Paris Saint-Germain and Pollock Juniors, the Catalan club confirmed the midfielder would be playing for them next season. 
Uh, he wasn't really linked to Pollock Juniors. What is Pollock? Where is that? It, it's a, like a uh, amateur football club in Glasgow. I was going to say. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, it was a joke. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Scottish joke for our yeah. listeners. Yeah. Uh, the, the transfer fee of 75 million euros is the largest ever for a player at a Dutch club. Uh, and the move has fueled speculation that team captain Matthijs de Ligt could be next out of the door, possibly to one of the clubs that missed out on de Jong for around 60 million. And Thursday brought news of another big end-of-season departure as Feyenoord manager Giovanni van Bronckhorst said he was looking for new challenges. The Rotterdammers have won the league title two years ago but have been off the pace this season. So why did this guy get paid so much money? Or why was so much money paid for this guy? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. It is an enormous sum given he's, he's a defensive midfielder um, so he doesn't score and he doesn't score many goals. Uh, he's only played 65 games for Ajax's first team so they're obviously just uh, buying him on his potential very much. He's won five international cups and you think usually players from the Eredivisie don't cost as much as players coming from English or Spanish uh, clubs uh, but nevertheless uh, there does seem to be a trend of, uh, at the moment uh, if clubs uh, think they've got the right player they'll pay you know, over the odds for him it's also good news for a couple of smaller clubs um, uh, Willem Tve and Erkese Valvaik who get uh, sell-on fees so Valvaik are going to get 5 million from that and given that they nearly went out of business a couple of years ago it's good for them oh yeah yeah and it's good news for Ajax as well because their share price went up by one and a half percent oh yeah, yeah, yeah. On and uh, the fun fact uh, so uh, he played for uh, what was it uh, Willem II in yeah. Tilburg but he never actually played uh, on the field he was always on the bench uh-huh. so uh, Willem II is getting their money even though he never really played for them yeah they're getting eight and a half million for him wow so is anything uh, exciting happening like actually on some sort of sports field or is it just like money shit happening? <laughs> no, it's just money sir, going around in circles. <laughs> um, it was quite an exciting weekend in the Eredivisie. Uh, PSV dropped points for only the second time this season uh, when they conceded an injury time equalisers to Emmen on Sunday and that gave Ajax a chance to go top of the table when they kicked off later in the day and they went 3-1 up at home to Herefane but ended up drawing 4-all in one of those classic Eredivisie games where everyone forgets how to defend and uh, <laughs> one of their defensive midfielders is now going to Barcelona for 75 million. <laughs> so PSV remain two points clear of Ajax at the top with Feyenoord another 11 points behind after they lost to Pex Fuller. The sale of meat from deer shot in the Oostvaardersplasse nature reserve has turned out to be a huge success. The number of deer in the national park in Flevoland had to be reduced from uh, 2300 to only 500. Controlling numbers is necessary to prevent the animals from perishing and dying from hunger during the winter. Images of suffering and starving animals in the unusually cold winter last year sparked outrage and protest against Staatsbosbeheer's official policy of intervening as little as possible and letting nature do its work in the nature's reserve. An official inquiry concluded last year that controlling animal numbers by shooting them is the most humane solution. Staatsbosbeheer decided to sell the meat or donate it to food banks. The first batch of 850 packages of venison from 85 animals were sold out within two hours. People can buy their meat at koopenhert.nl buyadeer.com buyadeer.com yeah. no, buy yeah. so when, whenever they have a new batch you can, you can, buy, you can some buy some more yeah. uh, it's, not, it's not cheap, it's Kind of ex- expensive, but I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's for a good cause, I guess. Yeah. yeah, and they're restocking, are they, after they sold out that uh, first batch? Well, yeah, so a, they've only sold from eight hundred or they've only sold from eighty-five animals. They've yeah. got they got a few to go. We'll be discussing the asylum row that's threatening to split the coalition after this word from our sponsors. 
Stay up to date with the news about the Netherlands with Dutch News. Dutch News is the country's leading English-language news website, bringing you the latest in news, politics, sports and more every day. We cover all of the news about the Netherlands in English for an international audience. You can find Dutch News online at dutchnews.nl or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at dutchnewsnl. Asylum for children has been a running sore for Dutch governments in recent years, and the issues caused tension again this week after the Christian Democrats called for the existing amnesty to be extended to 400 refugee children, many of whom have been born and raised in the Netherlands and only speak Dutch. The other Christian party in the coalition, the Christian Union, has called for deportations of children to be halted so the cabinet can review its policy, but the largest party, the Fefe Day, has refused to budge from its hardline stance. The current ruling was drawn up by the previous Fefe Day Labour coalition in the aftermath of a row over whether to offer basic bed and board to people who've been refused asylum but had not left the country. So why is asylum such a thorny issue, and can the cabinet resolve the current impasse? Gordon, what is this like children's amnesty thing? Uh, it's called the Kinderpardon in Dutch, um, and it uh, was set up about five years ago, and it allows children who've been in the Netherlands for more than five years and don't have permanent permission to stay uh, to apply for a special dispensation, and their families uh, are eligible as well, uh, which includes um, all the way up to aunts and uncles. They have to meet various conditions for eligibility, so, for example, they must have been the subject of an asylum application, um, they uh, can't have been in trouble with the police, and uh, they need to have cooperated with any efforts to to remove them from the country. So, and why has the CDA changed this line now? Uh, well, basically they say that it, it's not working. Their asylum spokesman, Madeleine von Torgenburg, uh, pointed out that uh, only 80 of around 1,400 children who've had these applications turned down uh, have actually left the country, and she says the, the situation is just, just untenable. There's another 880 where their whereabouts are kind of unknown. Um, on the other hand, um, the rules are so, the, the criteria are so strict that almost nobody who's made an application has actually succeeded. So, for example, if you miss an appointment with the end day that then you're counted as not cooperating even if you just mm. you know missed your bus or something yeah. uh, and there's lots of been also been lots of high profile cases down the years um such as lillian Hoek, two armenian children who'd never set foot in armenia and were be, uh, uh, scheduled to be deported and they ended up going into hiding and yeah. then the police actually asked uh, for people to for help to find them and it caused enormous uproar on social media and really? um, yeah and mark harbers the asylum minister gave him granted asylum at the very last minute yeah even though he claims it had nothing to do with the police calling for yeah. uh, <laughs> indeed or, or or the, or the general kind of uh, uproar from yeah. uh, from people saying that they shouldn't they should be allowed to stay, and even Kane Style, yeah. who are not really <laughs> known for the, for being friendly towards refugees, said that they should be allowed to stay in the country. And TV presenter Tim Hoffman gathered two hundred and fifty thousand signatures on a petition for a more effective Kinderpardon. So the short answer is it's not working. The other thing is that the CDR have quite a large uh, group among, within their membership who are not happy with the direction the party's taken on asylum and uh, refugees in the are, coalition. Yeah, in, mm, in the yeah. Well, well, since they joined the coalition and yeah. even during the election campaign, Siban Buma has kind of taken a more kind of, you might call, say, a right-wing nationalist stance on uh, on asylum. And a lot of the CDR are more kind of, you know, compassionate Christians who think that you should help people in need. Yeah. So I think that was part, that drove it as well, up to a point. So if we remember um, the Gedoog Constructie of uh, the first Rutte cabinet, yeah. so it was the VVD of Rutte and the CDA, and it was supported by the PVV of Geert Wilders. 
And uh, before the CDA party, uh, you know, accepted this 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 form of coalition, mm. there was a big conference, and uh, with the question, should we work together with the PVV or not? And the the party was really split in in, yeah. in a group of people that said yes, we must do this, and the other said no, we must, you know, do not work together with the PVV because it's an awful party. And one of the key leaders of this opposition was Ernst Heers Berlin. He was a CDA minister, and he really opposed this 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 cooperation, but the CDA yeah, uh, accepted it anyway. So they yeah. went into this cabinet, and uh, you know they did all these stricter asylum and immigration laws. They they passed it, uh, and now Syria is back into the coalition. And it's Ernst Heers Berlin who has really tight ties with Madeleine von Torenburg, the asylum spokeswoman of mm. the Syria, and he's really pushing uh, her to to you know work for this better uh, children asylum yeah. um, asylum thing. So yeah, that's also an uh, interesting bit of, of internal politics in the Syria. I think so. Yeah, and I remember that they got quite. Scared guard by um, being in that Gedorkte as a minor party as well, and it, it was a, a CDR minister, Geert Lees, who was a former mayor of Maastricht, um, who was appointed as the minister for asylum, and basically his job was to keep Geert Wilders sweet yeah. by keeping the numbers of asylum seekers down, and I think it was a really, he found that a really hard job. He'd been a very outspoken critic of Wilders uh, before he uh, joined the cabinet, and then he ended up having to work with him. Yeah. And I think that the, he, both he and the CDR party um, it really didn't enjoy that experience at all, and the CDR That's had really um, were punished for it um, at the next election as well they lost about half the seats they did yeah, yeah. so what is the baby day saying like this time around so this time around, uh, Fefe Day junior minister, Mark Harbers, who's in charge of asylum policy, he's publicly refused to consider any change to the rules. And in fact, this week, there was another high-profile case where three children uh, aged uh, eight, five, and three who were born in the Netherlands were deported to Armenia via Kiev. Um, so that caused uh, another um, uh, round of public unrest. Um, but other senior Fefe Day politicians have also insisted that the current Kinderpadon is written into the coalition agreement and is not up for renegotiation. Uh, nevertheless, there have been talks uh, this week between the four parties about whether they can uh, make any change to the policy. Um, so far they haven't but I think believe there's more talks scheduled. The Fefe Day is isolated in the coalition now of course because um, before the the parties came together into government, the Desensesestach, uh, who are the Progressive Liberal Party and the Christian Uni, they've all, they've always wanted a softer line and particularly the uh, Christian Uni MP Joel Frodevint, uh, who is their asylum spokesman um, has uh, took a long time to be, be persuaded to, to accept uh, a role for his party in the coalition and he's he, he was one of the first to lead the calls uh, to stop deportations once this uh, row blew up this week. Yeah. So is it fair to say that this is a cabinet crisis? I think potentially it is, yes. Uh, because, I mean, again, it's, it, it's the old um, unresolved asylum issue raising its head and it always, always causes trouble for coalitions. Certainly the last coalition almost fell out over the bed and board regulation. They had to have through-the-night talks to resolve that one. And I think although cabinets don't usually fall out over issues that they've, they've thrashed out during the coalition talks, this, I think it's different because one of the parties has radically changed its stance on the issue. The SADR has gone from being favouring a hard line to favouring a softer line. Yeah, because in their, <laughs> in their, in their party manifesto, they yeah. favour the hardline, right? Yeah, so they really exactly. shifted now. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, and they, they very much took the side of the Fefe Day, I think, uh, when they were um, drawing up the coalition agreement. Um, so, uh, whereas Desus and Sestuk and the Christian Uni have always been in, in supportive of a more generous uh, arrangement. So, and that leaves the Fefe Day, they're outnumbered in the coalition, uh, which is unusual for them. Usually, I think Fefe Day plus any of the other three parties will always bring the majority within the cabinet, but now they're in a minority. And they're also outnumbered in parliament, because with the CDR favouring a softer line, if it went to a vote around 85 MPs uh, on 
the coalition and uh, opposition benches would support changing the rules. The Fefe Day doesn't really want to soften its stance because it's yeah, had a good um, track record of picking up votes from Pefeve uh, or people who are sympathetic towards the Pefeve during elections and it doesn't want to lose uh, those uh, voters. Um, and there are elections coming up of course in March, the provincial elections and if this becomes a talking point uh, during the campaign I think that's going to really put the cabinet under strain. Yeah well it's already on the strain because yeah. you know the polls suggest that uh, they will never get a, a majority in the Eerste Kamer because we should do a, a different podcast on this but yeah. the provincial elections the results uh, based on that these people will vote for the Eerste Kamer mm. the senators that uh, election is in March yeah, but basically, what happened, yeah. whatever the proportion of the parties is in the provincial elections, that will be the makeup of the Senate. Roughly speaking, yeah. more, yeah. yeah. more or less, more or less. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, very often we say that local elections we uh, are you know uh, intervened by national politics, but you know with the provincial elections, it it really has a consequence for 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 the national yeah. parliament. This isn't like the only thing that's kind of straining the coalition right now, though, is it, Gordon? No, because there was also a row last week about the environment policy, which was kicked off by class. Dykov, who is the Fefe Day's um, parliamentary group leader, um, when he gave an interview saying that he was prepared to let the cabinet fall over the issue. Dykov's beef with it is, is that uh, he says that uh, the... Uh, he's just always saying something <laughs> kind of dumb. Yeah, I it's feel just, like Dykov, yeah. He's just always doing an interview and... <laughs> saying know, a dumb thing. Saying a dumb thing and then there's a row. Yeah. Yeah, his previous one was when he said that uh, people living in um, like problem neighbourhoods should uh, be punished twice as hard. Yeah. No, 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 people the, committing crimes in problem neighbourhoods should yeah. be yeah. Yeah. Shoot, but uh, that's a different story. That is a different story. <laughs> yes, but, but this particular row blew up because um, he was unhappy with. Uh, uh, well, this is separate from the Orkenda case we talked about earlier, although that kind of feeds into it. This is the government's own targets to meet the Paris Agreement, um, and he said that uh, going to wind up too expensive, and it wasn't a satisfactory deal, um, even though the exactly what the government has to do is still something that's being worked out by the um, Environmental Planning Agency. But Dykov's uh, argument is that the, the burden is going to fall too hard on uh, ordinary people uh, paying through their electricity bills. Uh, even yeah. though one of the reasons for that is that the Fefe Day don't want to put too much tax on business. Yeah, um, but even though if you put the taxes on business, yeah. these businesses are you know selling products to 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 consumers and to households. So yeah, that's true. E- either way, the households will have to pay. Yeah, so in the end, the, the burden falls too much on the ordinary man. Yeah, and Dykov says that he, he will always stand up for the citizen uh, rather than the coalition. And mm-hmm. uh, the response to that, uh, leader of Data Rob Yetten, who of course is in favour of a very ambitious climate policy, said that uh, if that didn't happen, if it, if the whole environmental agreement uh, fell apart then there would be no role for his party in the coalition so that kind of raised the stakes on both sides um, so yeah that that is another thing and, bec- and because that row kicked off I think that left the CDR who had very reluctantly swallowed the need for um, stricter environmental controls um, they're, they're naturally quite sceptical of uh, the whole you know, um, green movement um, and because they felt that they'd done their bit to, for the coalition by, by accepting uh, these environmental policies and then they see the Fefe Day turning around and uh, walking away from them they said right well in that case uh, we don't see why we should support uh, your hardline on refugees yeah, anymore. Yeah. So yeah, yeah th- th- it's all starting to um, to snowball. Yeah, Dykov really damaged something according to some of the uh, uh, coalition members because mm. he gave this interview out of the blue. He called uh, Ropieta a climate whiner yeah. in this interview. Mon- whiner? Moner? Moner, whiner, yeah, something I don't know like what that. the exact translation is. Drama. Yeah. Climate drama. Yeah. How would you translate that? Yeah, climate moner. 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 Yeah. Ah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's better. So he really 
broke the trust of Ropieta in this in this coalition. I mean, yeah. trust is is always a, a very important aspect of you know yeah. in a any coalition. Any yeah. coalition. So he really broke the trust there, and he really damaged something. And I mean, it it just uh, unleashed all the discontent from the other coalition yeah. Uh, yeah. members, and they started to talk about the the things they are you yeah. know very, not very happy with the within the coalition. Of, the thing I find sort of interesting about this is that it doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense politically for the Veve Day to be kind of being such a jerk about stuff. Mm. I mean, like, I understand that the Dykhoff thing was probably just Dykhoff Dykhoffing, as opposed to like... <laughs> Dykhoff. Dykhoffing. <laughs> as opposed to like a, a you know, a, a sort of thought through uh, strategy by the party to kind of like agitate over the climate thing. Mm. But with regards to the refugee policy, I mean, you know, as you were saying, we have provincial elections, they're coming up in March. It's almost guaranteed that the current coalition government will not have a majority in the uh, Erstekammer. So they're going to have to reach out somewhere along the lines to get any sort of legislation passed. It just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me to like pick integrated <laughs> adorable children and making them cry as your like sticking mm. point of a thing to be like a hard line on. Exactly, I don't yeah. understand why the baby day is doing that. Picking one of the most sensitive issues yeah. uh, that, that, that you know you've had tr- has given you trouble for the last decade yeah. really and, uh, and and trying to yeah and, and reopening that old sore. And as you say you know, the, the opposition parties knowing that coalition is probably going to need support from them after the elections have, have immediately pounced on this you know and use it to put more pressure uh, on the government to try and get concessions from them after the election. So, I mean, Hoon Links, I think, uh, came out this week with a proposal on uh, refugees as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. especially since, I mean, I know that, you know, we've been, I think, sort of joking for the last few weeks about how, you know, you sort of see Rita and some of these other Veve Day leaders making these kind of like hardline stances and everybody jokes, well, it's election season, right? Because the Veve Day tends to get a bit more rhetorically mm. kind of aggressive as elections approach, right? And the sort of idea is, is that the reason that they're doing this is because they're trying to attract voters who might otherwise vote for the Pave right to vote for them instead which you know I, I sort of get I think as a as an election strategy but I just feel like the kinder pardon thing is a thing you know like you said I mean Hain style often come out and say, comes out and says like you know we should let these kids yeah, stay like it's just it's the one thing that I feel way. like a sh- short of like Hurt Wilders himself and like a few really ardent VVV supporters you know most people think that if these kids have been here for a while and they're integrated and you're sending yeah. them back to places that like maybe they're not like really really terrible but probably mm-hmm. aren't great for kids that like you know that these yeah. kids should be allowed to stay. It just seems to me like a crazy fight to pack. Yeah, I think it's something that Fefe Day maybe certainly Klaus Dijkhoff uh, d- doesn't get that uh, the debate is often about numbers of refugees, but actually when you break it down to individual cases and you see these, the pictures of these kids and you see how well in- integrated they are and how well they speak Dutch, suddenly people take a different view of them. Right. Yeah, and uh, I think they don't get the, the, the dif- difference between those two things sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Yeah. I I would think that if the Fefe Day kind of wanted to make a good sort of good faith gesture ahead of the elections where they can both seem like they're hardline on immigration and seem like they're like not, you know, Grinches whose hearts are two sizes too small, that you come out and say, well, really the problem here is with the asylum system is that it takes so long to Mm. process people through that these children are born and raised here and are integrated here and have lived here their entire lives because that's how long it takes. So, you know, here is our compromise agreement. You left-leaning people will give us more money and more resources and more push to process through asylum cases faster. And in exchange, you know, we will say these kids who have been here for a long time, they're just going to be allowed, you know, granted some sort of like residency option to stay here. Well, I expect that it will go that way actually yeah, yeah. yeah. but un- until then people you know f- before you start the negotiations you have to you know uh, say where you are and what your opinion yeah. is and to you know 
play a bit, little bit hard to get, and after yeah. that you can come close together. I think that will it will end up like this because yeah. Yeah. within if they if the VVD wants to ha- remain the coalition and stay in power, basically they're gonna have to find a way to to solve this problem. And I think your proposal is the way to go. You guys can have and, it. You can take yeah. my proposal. And, and Please credit also, the Dutch news podcast. But the question send is, an invoice, though. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, send, send an, an invoice, invoice. <laughs> or a uh, or a mini digger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in six months, you'll get my angry email if I have not been paid. And in nine yeah. months, you'll get the mini digger. Yeah. But the problem is. Will this be enough for the other left-wing parties that will have to support this deal if it if it will come through in in the eerste kamer? That's yeah. the that's the that's the question here. Now. That I think is really hard to say. And I think the other thing that's it seems from a pragmatic perspective that even like very left-leaning like sort of pro-immigration, pro their space in this country for refugees to come, kind of political operatives think that having an asylum system that drags on for so many years is a bad thing, right? That like just leaving people in an unstable situation is bad, and that we should do this. So I find it hard to believe that you would not get some support from progressive leaning parties and uh, and pays to say like, we, you know, we need to fix the, the fact that this takes so long, even if they're arguing about exactly like whether or not those end results of those processes yeah. should be that more or less people stay. But I think the length of time is something that everyone, pretty much everyone can agree is really just bad for yeah, definitely. Yeah, everything. Definitely. Yeah. For yeah. Everything. And then people get stuck and they can't move on. I think, and it's not good for the, you know, the, the refugees themselves either. You get kids going off to university from the asylum center right. because they still haven't you know, had, had their, uh, you know, their residency situation was Resolved. It yeah. seems ridiculous. Yeah. I, don't, I, I wonder the, the the other thing here is I wonder what uh, effect this is going to have on uh, Klaus Dijkhoff because he's been seen in the past as kind of a, a successor to Rutte. I mean, Rutte's term as prime minister and leader of the Fefe Day is coming to an end. I think everyone's widely expects that he's going to um, uh, quit uh, uh, at the end of this uh, this current cabinet, uh, if not before. Um, yeah. So, and, but I don't think he yeah, hasn't I really, he hasn't really uh, shown himself in the best light. Uh, you know, when, and when he when he first started, he had like a likability or something. He had a really um, lean back way of, yeah. of, of talking about uh, you know debating. His mm. debating style was really um, uh, casual, I yeah. have to say. But yeah, I think his likability <laughs> and his credibility is is really down the drain now. And uh, yeah, I I wonder if he will be uh, Rutte's. Uh, successor in leading the... So we'll keep you posted on the refugee row and how it plays out over the next few weeks running up to the election. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> I think we will uh, we will have some more on this. There'll be more news on this thing yeah. coming up. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. My thanks to Paul Peters and Molly Quell. I'm Gordon Darroch, and we'll be back next week. Music.